Hi friends, welcome. Today I want to share with you a conversation that I just finished up with a guy named Bryant Chambers. He is a YouTube creator who simply flips on his camera and talks about personal development and mastering yourself. He is a very talented communicator. He has a lot of wonderful thoughts to share. He used to be in the military, which provides inspiration to his content. We went all sorts of different directions with this conversation that I thought were so wonderful. Uh, we spoke about why he created his channel and what his goals are with his channel, as well as uh, personality tests to uh, self-doubt and what to do with self-doubt to anticipation being a force of tyranny in your life to uh, what to do if you're a creator who doesn't really adhere to a calendar so well and you need some discipline. It was fantastic. I'd encourage you to check him out. I will link to him below. Here's the conversation. Enjoy. Okay. Thank you so much for spending some time with me. How are you doing today? I'm doing outstanding and it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. That's an honor to have you on. And one reason I say that is because I got interested in you because I came across your work a while back through a very uh, specific, uh, hmm, a very specific channel. I was trying to come across things about personalities, about uh, Myers Briggs personalities, to be precise. I am an INFP myself. I'm an introverted okay. folk, and so I came across quite a few of your videos through that, and they were very helpful, very informative, and. Help me think of things uh, in, in more helpful ways to, to get my brain to do what I need it to do, right? Um, but when it comes to your channel, one thing I'm intrigued by about you is I appreciate your format. I appreciate the simplicity of you sitting down, flipping on a camera, and sharing the things that you're passionate about around uh, whether it's personality stuff or whether it has more to do with mastering your own mind, your own right ability to control the world around you and the way that you that you feel like you need to control yourself most importantly uh, right. but <laughs> yeah it all starts there what was what inspired you to start the youtube channel in the first place so the, the inspiration comes from understanding pain and then understanding how to overcome pain and actually su succeed at things and go through that process um wanting to help other people go from the journey of whether it's pain and suffering or just not understanding what they want to do with their lives or understanding what they want to do with their lives and just not getting there. Uh, and I primarily in the beginning sought out to focus on entrepreneurs because I feel like in this time in our existence, entrepreneurs are really having the most impact on the world, mm. right? So being able to help them not only become the strongest version of themselves, but also impact their businesses in a way that sets them up for success and then gives them the leverage, the resources and the opportunities to go out and serve more people. Mm. And that was really, everything was predicated on, you know, my experiences as a as just a person growing up and then as a, you know, a military combatant and a combatant leader of soldiers to, you know, a successful business person in the fortune 500 world. Um, and then, you know, having my own company really start to get legs and start running. Now I wanted to be able to take other people on that journey that could then take their passion and go out and infect the world uh, in a really positive way. Mm. Right to take their ideas and the things that they want to build to be successful so that I become this kind of leader of leaders in the world that can go out and really start to affect positive change in the minds and hearts of people. Gotcha. Gotcha. And 
if we're speaking to creators, as I like to speak to, cool. what would you say to the sort of free flow, I can't stay on a schedule, <laughs> I don't wake up on time, every day I wake up at a different time, type of creator out there that's trying to master their life. They realize they need to, maybe they just hit adulthood, right? And they right. they realize that everything is much harder than they anticipated. And <laughs> they have a part-time job and everything's kind of crazy. I mean, what would you say to somebody who's really s struggling in that position? Yeah, the first thing always, always, always that I focus on with people is the self-awareness piece. If, if you know that about yourself, let's say it's a young 21 year old male female doesn't really matter uh, and they're they're coming to those realizations like oh man This is this can be kind of tough. You know, I had my first job when I was 12 So I figured out how much I had to work to actually order a pizza. You beat <laughs> like, me by four years <laughs> I learned that process way early. Yeah, and so The the first thing is self-awareness, you know, know who you are whether it's taking personality tests m my favorite personality test uh, right now is the Hexaco test mm. uh, and then understanding your values. You know, what is the why? What's the North Star that gets you out of bed every day? And if you don't know the answer to that, that's cool. Mm. Start to do some self-discovery. Start to experiment with things in your life so that you can figure out what actually drives me. You know, is the, the Hexaco the one that Jordan Peterson pushes or is that a different one? So he pushes a a previous version of what now is the Hexaco. Oh, interesting. It used to be... It used to be called the Big Five, which right, was the original, right, right. The original test. And then it became the Big Six. And then this thing's been going on for like 50 years. They've been working on this thing. Um, I hear it's quite Six comprehensive. Is now, it is. And it's it. what I love about it, you know, one of the challenges you, you talk about being an INFP with Myers-Briggs is that it's very – it very much wants to box a person into a certain type of behavior. Like just today, I got a person that sent me a message asking, my husband's an ENTJ. What's the best type of gift to give him? And I'm like, mm. I don't know. <laughs> Knowing <laughs> that your husband is an ENTJ doesn't give me enough information to right. help me pinpoint that. Right. The Hexaco is a little bit more uh, not open ended, but it measures things that are actually measurable. Like how honest and humble are you? Those are things we can measure based on the way you answer questions, right? How emotional are you? How bad do you deal with anxiety or neuroticism, right? Things that I can measure based upon answers to question. How, you know, they get away from introvert versus extrovert and they just measure extroversion. Hmm. So it's how extroverted are you? So you're an INFP, you probably score lower in extroversion. Mm -hmm. But instead of putting you in the box of introvert or the box of extrovert, it just says, here's where you exist on a scale of four things. Like there's people that meet me and they can't believe I'm extroverted, even though I'm a mm -hmm. max extrovert, because mm -hmm. I don't like a lot of social norms. Like going to a bar, I would rather like, like, like wrestle a bear. <laughs> it's not my thing, but I'm a that max. That would be socially abnormal. You're right about that. <laughs> right. So it's that, that test really helps you understand and it's it's a it's a timeline right like i know i score very low in emotionality mm -hmm. and because my life is feelers my whole life i have like one son who i think is a thinker <laughs> and my whole family are all feelers right well i know being low in emotionality makes it harder to relate to my family so i can make adjustments to behaviors based on the self-knowledge of i have zero sentimentality so birthdays mm -hmm. anniversaries none of this stuff matters to me but I know my family cares about that. So instead of saying, well, I'm just a ENTJ, which I am, it's 
then I just don't care about that. And I don't need to like, I can use the Myers Briggs. I found doing YouTube content, people were using Myers Briggs as a crutch and, and an excuse mm-hmm. for not wanting to adapt to the world. Sure. Sure. Um, so the hexaco helps with that. Yeah, right? and and I I I feel like there is a lot of controversy around the Myers Briggs too, and I think you have to be careful with how you apply it. That's kind of the sure. conclusion I've come to with it. Uh, that's very interesting. Yeah. So, so, so you would say that that starting with self awareness is a good place. Self awareness. So it's it's who are you? Your values, your motivations. What are you actually good at? Mm. Like really spend some time doing the things you're interested in to figure out. Am I actually good enough for someone to pay me at this? If we're talking about career, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, th- and then we talk about what are you passionate about? Mm-hmm. And I always stress kind of that second phase. And the reason why, I, and it's an exercise I take people through called the five pillars of self-awareness. I have a video on it where it's a lesson that I teach. Um, and I constructed the system. And we get the passion last because the whole world's being told, follow your passion, follow your passion, follow your passion. My eight-year-old has no idea what he's passionate about. He's not experienced enough things. So it's really bad advice for him. Mm. Like, dude, you just need to follow your passion. Well, I've played Fortnite and one game of basketball. (laughs) So uh, I guess those are my two options, right? So it's get out there and taste the world and figure out. Steve Jobs became passionate about technology. Mm. He was a designer, hippie, walking in the field with no shoes, um, studied calligraphy. Mm-hmm. But he applied what he loved about design to technology, and eventually those two things mesh well together. Mm-hmm. Are, are you um, one of those folks that believes that you can become passionate about anything? No. No. Okay. No, See, that's a I, tough one for me. I really struggle with that idea. Yeah. I I think – and I think that's at a genetic level. And it's another thing I love about the Hexaco is it's dealing with – there's a book called The H Factor of Personality where science right now today, you know, in a million years, we'll figure out that we're all wrong. But today they figured out that what we call personality is probably 80 percent genetic and only 20 percent your environment. So there are cer- certain things that I am genetically wired to. N- I will never be passionate about accounting. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. never going to happen. You can. And, and I've had I've run businesses, so I had to be good at it. And I hated every minute of my accountants yelling at me about, hey, you, you didn't do the base year calculation. Like, dude, I'm already angry. I don't even know what that word means. And I run the right. company. So that's a problem. Right. Right. So no, I don't think, I, I think what pe- people, when they go through that self-awareness exercise, your passions become evident mm. and then you flesh them out. And you know, me being a scientist, like you flesh it out with the scientific method, mm-hmm. test it, Make sure you're actually good at it, and then make sure you're also you also like it enough to keep doing it. Right, right. I, I heard uh, Casey Neistat say a couple of times, a pretty popular guy on the YouTube. You can look. Oh him yeah. Up. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> may have seen him once or twice. May, may have seen him once or twice <laughs> running around with a with you know something carrying him while he's flying through the air or something like that. Right. <laughs> but uh, he said that the quickest way. And I will definitely confirm this. The quickest way to know what you're passionate about and to build drive in yourself is to put yourself in a place you don't want to be like a part-time job where you're cleaning yeah. dishes for, for nine hours a day. Uh, I think that that's something that is, is important for a lot of people. I think a lot of young people, of course, try to avoid that. And if you can, there's a lot of merit to that. 
right. you could spend more time focusing on the things that you're passionate about. If you can make the money with that, like I, I want to see people get into their passions when they're like 16 years old. So that by the time they actually do leave the house, they might be making some money off of it, right? They never have to right. go through that period. But ah, even in the negatives, even in the thing that you would love to avoid when you're going into the world of adulthood, which is maybe a part-time or full-time job to support yourself that you have no interest in and no passion for, there is optimism to be found in that possibility because you can, you can learn so much. You can build up so much hunger within you from working at a coffee shop and being overwhelmed by all the people if you're an introvert, right? Uh, and vice versa, maybe you're an extrovert and you work in a submarine. I don't know. What's a, what's a good <laughs> introvert? <laughs> a, a, a great, terrible job. I, I love that you said that because I thank God almost daily for the job I had that I hated the most, which was mm. uh, started, I want to say that was, it was over a decade ago. Uh, it was first when I started to make what most people would consider a lot of money. Um, and I hated that job. I hate it. And, but I'm grateful because that hate drove me to then like, I need to go get successful at what I actually care about. Mm. Right. And I think that's great advice. Like go out, don't be afraid to experience something you hate because just as important as finding out what your passions are, finding out what you hate is also very, very valuable information. The contrast. Right. Because it's, I know I never like me helping run a fortune 500 company. I learned, I hate accounting. And that yeah. was why I actually left that business because I basically had to become like I needed to minor in accounting to become really good at that that job. And I was like, ah, you know, and I loved the job outside of the accounting. But I was like uh, this. I, can't, I don't really have a future here because if I have to become a borderline accountant to be successful, here, it just doesn't work with my personality. It doesn't work with who I am. Mm-hmm. So I think there's tremendous value and having experiences that you don't like and then learning from them and being grateful for them. So what do you, what, what attitude? Oh, and I'm sorry, the, the oh, answer to your question was a great, horrible job for an extrovert is go work for the government. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's interesting. I like that. <laughs> you know, it, and it's very generalized. There's obviously jobs in state and local and federal government. That yeah, when you say government, great. you mean like the post office or do you, you yeah, know, that'd be, like Delta like, Force? Post office, anything where there is, uh, to be more specific, because it's not just the government that struggles with this, anything, because remember, extroverts, one of the things it's measuring is uh, social confidence. Mm. Right. Most people who are attracted to, quote unquote, government work, at least in my experience, are a little bit more safety oriented. They're not as adventurous. Right. And that's how the bureaucracies grow. Throwing yourself into a bureaucracy where people make decisions very slowly and often they're not very effective at decision making. It's a great experience for someone who has a ton of social confidence and values going back to the values piece adventure because they're going to they're going to go nuts dealing with these bureaucrats who will come into a room and talk about that new website we want to build. Should it be green? And then if you have a web developer in the room, he's pulling his face off. He's like, are we literally talking about the color of the website before, before we talk about why we're building this thing? Right, right. And in bureaucracies that can tend to happen. You get people in positions of power and authority like to look like they know everything versus Smart business owners like, I know nothing about that. You need to inform me. Lots of ego, I I suppose. A hundred percent. And it's so weird because you think it would be the opposite. 
Yeah. Like these public servants would be very not like the billionaire that mentored me in business. It's one of the most, I mean, for some people he was hard to deal with because he was a, he was an assassin, but he's one of the most humble dudes I know. Mm. You know, I had to do a congressional testimony uh, on behalf of his company. I was the guy going to get yelled at at Congress on C-SPAN and he sat That's down. That's a fun way room. to spend a Friday. Yeah. Tell me about it. And he's kind of going over with me. What are you going to say? What are you going to do? He's like, and he says, I think you should do this. And I told him the three reasons why that was going to blow up in our face. And he, he stepped back. He's like, you got it. You know this better than I do. You're the man. That's a billionaire whose company, a part of his company I'm running, telling me you got this. And I'm 20. I'm in my 20s when that happened for him to give me that much faith, you know, versus I've seen bureaucracies where they won't trust you to change a tire. Mm. And so for someone who's extroverted and socially bold and wants to go out there and make fast decisions and action, 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 it's a terrible experience. Interesting. Yeah. So maybe they should go work at a coffee shop or something where everything moves a little bit faster. Right. Like dealing with people is going to feed like all day. Yeah. They're going to be energized if they have to talk to people versus mm. sitting in an office waiting for someone to make a decision. That is one thing that's so interesting about the ingrained nature of introversion versus extroversion is when I worked at a coffee shop there, the, I really enjoyed the having uh thoughtful conversations with my customers, with my coworkers. There's a lot of social goodness that came from that. But sure. at the end of the day, I was absolutely <laughs> exhausted from being around 50 exactly. different people uh, or, or, you know, but the, the coworkers that were behind with me and then all of the customers that came through and all of the small talk, the same thing over and over. Right, what do you right, want? Right. What do you want? What do you want? Uh, a little nicer than that. <laughs> they walk. What do you want? What do you want? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, that was like, I loved it. And I tried, I tried to squeeze every bit of that orange of, of passion that was within me about that because there were things I really liked about it. But at the end of the day, it was like, I, I felt like I had to get out of there. And that was a huge mental struggle. And I think you grow so much through facing 100%. that struggling with, uh, seeing the other people around you who are your fe your fellow coworkers and they seem to be handling certain situations better, maybe they learn things faster than you. All the mental struggles that come from that are, can be incredibly beneficial. And I guess I'm saying that to people who were where I was a couple of years ago, and they are they're not so happy where they are, and they need to find optimism. But I'm curious what you would say to somebody who is in that position where right. they know they don't want to stay here, but they have to be there for the time being. Like what attitude, what pose do they strike? What character do they try to pursue in themselves to 100%. do that? It's an amazing question. And it's a very simple answer. Treat the situation that you hate like going to the gym. Hmm. Going to the gym, if you do it properly, hurts a little bit. Not like injuries and, and that type of pain, but you're going to lift weights, you're going to get sore. But you're not doing it right until you see a bone. Exactly. <laughs> and as your muscles become sore, like in fact, I'm sore now because I've just, uh, I hurt myself. I got an ankle injury and now I'm back to working out a little bit more regularly and I'm sore. But that breaking down of my muscle tissue is the beginning of it growing back stronger. And when you're in an environment that you hate, first of all, it's usually people driven and that's usually values driven. Going back to those five pillars, the values mm -hmm. pillar Peter Drucker says in managing oneself, if you work in a place where your values and the values of the company or the majority of the company are going this way, you are doomed to be mediocre at best. Mm. Right. So, you know, you got to get out of there eventually. But while you're in it, go in every day 
with the mindset that I'm going to learn something, right? And what am I going to learn? Well, I'm going to learn how to deal with people who see things differently than me, which means if I'm willing to at least look at it from their perspective, even if I completely disagree with them, I'm going to build empathy, which is a very powerful tool in business, dealing with people, in marriage, pick a thing. Mm -hmm. Build that empathy for the people that drive you nuts and also recognize the psychology of why those people drive you nuts. Do you build that empathy because you have to be with them in the same room for a long period of time? Is that the idea? Because normally you just run away from that person, right? Right, which you can't in a work environment. You got to work together, right? And they may be asking you to play a game that you think is rigged the wrong way. Mm. So it's like, well, why does this person who I completely violently disagree with in terms of how we're doing this job, let me look at it, let me find merit in what they believe. Let me find some common ground where I can say, well, I can see, I can at least see why they think it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, whether it's upbringing, experience, that you know, they're scared to go against the system. That's what a bureau- bureaucracy attracts people who do not like change, mm-hmm. right? So the empathy is built because you exercise the muscle of reserving your judgment and doing your best to see it from their perspective, mm-hmm. which is a wonderful tool in every aspect of life, mm-hmm. right? But it's also one of the reasons why people annoy us is because we see traits of what the psychology is. I see a trait in this person that reminds me of some of my own weaknesses. So it's a personal thing. You know, once upon a time, I've worked for a lot of really good people. Once upon a time, I worked for a coward tyrant. Um, and I had to flip my brain to a he this way. Maybe he was abused as a kid. I don't, I don't know. Right. But I start to figure out he annoys me because I know I have my own cowardice. And it forces me to see the cowardice in me, which obviously I probably don't have as much as him, (laughs) but it forces me to look at things about myself that I don't like. And when we realize that it's, oh, this doesn't have to be a personal thing where I hate this person. Now I can show this person sympathy. Mm. And like I tell people in YouTube all the time, when you get people who leave you horrible comments, remember, they are dealing with a mental health issue without question. Two, they are transferring their pain onto you because it's too much for them to bear. So the default reaction, uh, unless it's either ignore them completely because you're not going to be able to help them in the comments section. But the default reaction has to be pity and sympathy. Because I don't know what abuse or turmoil this human – I mean I've talked to people on YouTube and in my work who are literally being raped and beaten by their whole families, mm-hmm. right? So it's I don't know – which interestingly enough, those folks are usually always pleasant. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's you know these other folks who have been through whatever their personal hell is, that default – Emotion has to be sympathy. This person's screaming at me because they have a problem, not because my video sucked or I said the thing that they didn't like. I mean, I've been called racial sexist slurs because of a video game review that I did that wasn't good enough for the person who loved it. Mm. Clearly, it's a mental health issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's realizing that dealing with people in that realm, it creates a psychological and an emotional strength and an awareness in us that just helps us become more successful. So it's like, if you know you're walking into this crappy situation, instead of, oh, this is a crappy situation, frame it as, well, I'm just going into the gym Mm. and bench pressing 405 pounds sucks. Yeah. But I get really strong and people ask me if I can lift a car when they see me. That feels good. Mm. You know, there's, there's a good feeling at the end of the pain if you come at it with the right attitude. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful thoughts, man. Really, it's like, that was seriously interesting stuff. Uh, I think you articulated a lot of different things in ways that were that were nice. And I think that 
uh, empathy is one of the things we're lacking the most in our society as a whole. Like I think it's it's we are dramatically uh, under fed the diet of empathy. If that yeah. maybe maybe that's a good way to put it or not. But 100%. I think that the default response you were saying that you your response should be uh, pity and that you should care for them and try to figure out what's going on with them and think about what's happening. Well, a lot of people, what they'll do is they'll say that person's an asshole and that's it. Right. It just stops. Maybe they are. (laughs) No, they absolutely are. That's a given. Right. right? But, uh, I think taking, not taking the time to wrestle with what's underneath that for them does us a disservice. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, my mentor once taught me uh, when I first got into the coaching world and all that stuff. He told me that our our job is not to see through people; it's to see people through. Mm. And in that, you inevitably are going to run into people who are fundamentally flawed. He's like, "Guess what? So are you." Mm-hmm. So that's where empathy really starts. Empathy really starts with us. When I really look at myself, I have no grounds to judge anybody. Mm-hmm. Not zero. Like even someone that does something horribly heinous. I look at it, if it wasn't for God's grace, I could be exactly in that person's shoes mm-hmm. with ease. But sure, we tend to sure. get this self-righteous attitude of, oh, well, I'm better than them. I'm not. Yeah. Circumstance, experience, and opportunity is the only thing that's made me better than that person. Mm, it's important to understand. Uh, yeah. So what, one thing that creates a lot of trauma for ourselves internally, not emotional trauma that's inflicted on us, but internal trauma would be self-doubt. And I was watching a video from you today about self-doubt. And you were saying that it comes down to you, you that you're afraid to fail and uh, that you should make your desires bigger than your fears. Right. And break that down because I thought that was really interesting. Sure. I think the best analogy is survival situations, right? If you are starving to death on the streets, you can get to a point where you were willing to do whatever it takes to get food, whether that's humbly asking somebody for money. It could even go as far as stealing because you just you could die if you don't get this food. Mm-hmm. Right. I can show I can show people biblical examples of when King David stole food. Right. So it's when I talk about desire has to be greater than fear. A lot of that fear is rooted in our own pride and is rooted in our own ego. Right. We don't want to look bad in front of somebody. Well, you don't want to look bad in front of somebody and you have a desire to be famous, whichever one of those desires is stronger is going to win. So if your desire to not look bad, that fear, that irrational fear is greater than, well, one day I want to be the next Billy Graham. Guess what? You're never going to get there because this is always going to win. So you have to find some desire in your bag of desires that's so powerful and so profound that it makes you willing to go against that fear value system, mm-hmm. right? That mm-hmm. fear of looking bad. And I struggle, you know, I, I can talk about self-doubt because I, I've had to get over it myself, mm-hmm. right? There are things that once I had kids, I got a lot less fearful of rejection because I, well, I got to go get this money because I got to feed these guys. And if mm-hmm. that means I need to get yelled at by, you know, a customer that thinks I'm bothering them or get told no a hundred times to get told yes four times, then, but that desire, that need to, to do what it is that I want to do, in this case, feeding a child, it overwhelms that, that fear or that, that self-doubt. And self-doubt can only exist really in places where people are – it's kind of – I did a video years ago 
called um, on a previous channel where I said we're encumbered by our convenience and our prosperity. Mm -hmm. Like we have it so good that we have the luxury of being afraid to fail. Mm -hmm. Because failure for us is, I just don't look good. Like you don't miss meals, you don't go hungry, no one's trying to kill you. You know, there's decisions I've had to make in battle. Um, I don't know that it's right to say I regret them, I regret the outcomes. Mm -hmm. But I had to make a decision about somebody's life versus me and my team's life. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I'm not afraid to have to do to do what I have to do to survive because I don't want my team to die. I don't want to have to go to explain to a wife why Josh is dead. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, I'm faced with a bad decision and a worse decision. There's no fear of failure. It's pick bad. And bad is I have to do harm to somebody else. Yeah. In order that means me harm to keep my team from being well, harmed. And it's a situation where you have to be very present and step up. I've spoken with a friend uh, in the past, he he's a musician. He performs on stage. I've spoken with him a lot about the importance of being in a situation where you have to be entirely present, such as improvisational music live in front of people. Oh, yeah. It activates a part of your brain that you have a hard time activating without a situation like that. Absolutely. And in life, on our daily go-abouts in the Western society, uh, we don't have to be present. Everything's kind of okay. We're, we right. have, we have exactly pillows right. around us, right? We don't have to. We don't have to engage in things that are horrifying to us. Uh, things that are intense, and you have to make sure you do them right, or something goes horribly wrong, or, exactly. or maybe you know, or just horribly wrong could mean that somebody heard you play a wrong note if you're a musician, right? Uh, the importance of putting ourselves in those situations. I think we're built for those situations. I think that our minds are designed to operate at an optimum level when we put ourselves in those situations. So no matter what you do in life, I think it's really important to find some way to put yourself in those situations on a daily basis so that you keep yourself, you're working the muscle, right? A hundred percent. And uh, and I think that that's very, very much in the same vein as what you were saying, just with less people getting killed. Yeah. Well, and you said it much more succinctly and concisely. It, it absolutely. My prayer for everybody is that they get hungry enough to overcome their fears. And that's what it's like. I want to live and not die. And when you get to and it can be figurative, it doesn't have to be literal. Like me not accomplishing this goal is like dying and it's going to hurt because I'm going to have to go through rejection and fear and people being mean to me. But man, it's worth it to get to this thing. And my prayer is everybody finds that thing mm -hmm. and then self-doubt. Self-doubt goes away because I must succeed. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's not, it's an, not, it's option. not an option. Yeah, yeah. Like, I have to, like, when I was bodybuilding, I had to be able to bench press 400 and some odd pounds so many times. Mm. And so there's no fear of failure. If it takes me six years, it took me two and a half. But it's like, it doesn't matter. There's no more fear because if I don't do this, I die. Mm -hmm. You know, figuratively, a part of me dies. So... I'll take all the beating because everything you can throw at me hurts way less than me getting to be an old dude who never accomplished that goal. And that's my prayer for everybody is that hunger for something overwhelms them to the point where, dude, I can totally go through this pain because it hurts way less than the pain of not getting the thing that I so deeply desire. And so desire is really the catalyst for everything. Mm -hmm. it's, it's almost like, uh, you know, if there's an elephant in the room over here and you're supposed to not look at that elephant or you're supposed to not think about that elephant, it, what we try to do is we try to go, okay, ignore the elephant, ignore the elephant, <laughs> let, me, uh, let me think about something else. And you fight in, in your head about it. 
uh, and it gets overwhelming and frustrating. I think that what I've learned to be a wonderful life skill is what you're saying, which is don't focus against, oops, hit my mic. Don't focus against that thing. Focus on something greater. 100%. Right. And I, that's, I think that that is something that we repeatedly fall, <clears throat> we repeatedly fall back into is trying to focus against our fears and focus against 100%. our self-doubt. And one of the things that I found to be a force of tyranny in our lives is anticipation. I've started to go, try to go after not almost not anticipating things at all. I'm trying right. very hard to let myself not dwell on something until the time comes to act and do it. Of course, prepare yourself for the thing, right? Uh, go to the gym if you, if you need to, you know, if you need to be fit because you're going right. into battle, uh, know how to operate your gun, know what to do if the gun, you know, breaks in half or jams or what have you, whatever happens and that you have more experience in, than me in that. But, uh, where was I? Uh, you have to, you have to prepare, but dwelling is different than preparing. Right. And I think the anticipation for me personally, I think different people struggle with this at different levels. And I so admire people who are able to take the anticipation out of their brain and put it over here because they know they don't need to. But for me, I really struggle with that. I'll think over, if I'm going to the dentist, I'll think over something for hours and hours and hours. It'll just sit at the, at the base of my brainstem here and, and make my life horrible for a couple of days until I go. And so I've had to work that muscle. Uh, right. how, how have you struggled with that? And how have you sort of overcome or tried to overcome that so far? That's one of my biggest struggles uh, because I'm an action guy, right? Let's go now. Let's get it. Yeah, Let's yeah. make this happen. Uh, waiting and There's almost a comfort in the action, right? Oh, yeah. It just it, And it's it, – if you've ever seen Lord of the Rings, uh, when one of the – I don't remember their names, Marin or Pippin or whatever it is, mm -hmm. when he's talking about it's not so much that I'm afraid to fight in this battle. It's the waiting mm -hmm. for the battle to start that's ripping me apart. And it's so true. And it's honestly God, the way that I – those movies are so good. They are. There's so much. There's so much profound. So much visual metaphor too. Exactly. That I love the Gandalf and coming the, over the hill with the thousands of horses. Right. Right. They all waited <laughs> for the 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 cavalry to come, and they were. It was a literal cavalry. Right. I love. Right. I love the yeah, so good. the metaphors and the the statements, like what you were saying. It's, and so honestly, the way I've dealt with it, and it's something I recommend all of the people who follow me go through, is therapy. Honestly, bringing someone out or a coach or whatever, and you know, people that work with me have all different types of whether it's hypnotic therapy or it's just straight up talking to a doctor, whatever it is, getting a coach. Some people use me as their therapy and their coach. Um, it's I talk to people who help me recognize um, you're not living in the moment. And actually, my my one of my spiritual brothers, my business partner, he reminds me in the moment, in the moment, dude. It's no, 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 not a month from now, today. Today, he had to remind me, so you know, tough. once upon a time on a trip, like we're on speedboats. He's like, you're in San Diego on a speedboat. <laughs> Everything else doesn't matter right now. And so and it was funny. He saw me having this great time, which I'm not a person who's given to like emotive oh, excitement. I'm just mm -hmm. kind of even keel. And uh, 
He's like, I don't think I've ever seen you laugh or smile that hard ever. Mm. I was like, because I was, I almost capsized a boat and it was amazing. Like, because <laughs> I know how to swim. And, you know, the guy that was taking us out on the boats was a Delta Force dude. So he and I were immediately kind of war storying it up. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's just get someone else with an outside perspective to come in and help you know when you're off target. Uh, and therapy has been tremendously helpful for me, you know, as a person who has mental health challenges. Um, and I, you know, when I come back to doing YouTube here in the near future, there's going to be a lot of discussion because my biggest fear is I'm helping so many people get successful and then not realizing like a group that I coach now, I kind of came out and said, listen, I'm getting help for some mental health issues that I was made aware of by my military doctor going through the disability process. I'm telling you that because I want to give you permission and the comfort to know that even if you're really, really successful, you can have challenges and it's okay. Go talk to somebody. And to a person, they were all like, yes, 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 yes. Mm. My biggest fear is I'm going to help all these people get successful, but they're not going to fix what's going on in here and in here. And then when they get that success and realize it doesn't fix here and here, then it's, a, it's you know, there are entrepreneurs who have killed themselves at the height of their success mm-hmm. because they thought, oh, when I become a billionaire, it's going to make me amazingly happy and when that didn't happen because happiness is our control not our circumstances so that's that's really my advice is get a third party who is skilled enough to come in and watch you and even if you're an extremely successful person like michael jordan still had phil jackson Mm. right now phil jackson didn't teach mike how to play basketball mike's a better basketball player but phil can see what you're doing wrong Mm -hmm. because he's not in the trenches with you so it's just therapy, coaches, courses, whatever it is that helps you get that perspective that oh, I'm not living in the moment. I'm letting the anticipation of this thing that I really want, it's usually a good thing, create anxiety and depression in me that doesn't need to be there because I don't need to be focused on it. And it's it's been one of my greatest struggles as a person in therapy and coaching. And I have I have life coaches and mentors and um, accountability partners and therapists, and they all help me do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Power of community. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that I love that Jordan Peterson says is that if you are a creator, that you should orient the non-creative parts of your life in a way that is more type A and more strict and that you should build structure and discipline for yourself. And I feel like you speak about that a good bit. Uh, yeah. I would be curious to hear your thoughts for somebody, uh, like I said, who's not so disciplined, who... Because creators, the thing is, we love to watch. We love to go outside and just watch things move around and find inspiration and uh, everything be okay in the world and try try to use our the things that have inspired us and uh, create more okayness. I suppose. Uh, I spend a lot of time being a street photographer because I love the spontaneity of it. Right. Right. Nice. Uh, but if you're going to be successful in the world and you're going to consistently output things, uh, whether it may be your YouTube creator, you want to have a consistent output or you want to, uh, you want to continue to like if you're an Instagram creator, you want to share photos every single day that are on the level that you want them to be. There's a separation that comes from the successful people and the non-successful people who just like to to play around, which is totally yeah. fine. But if you want 100%. to be a, one of those successful folk, uh, what's what's some good ideas about discipline? Yeah, um, two things. 
especially number one, especially for creative types of which I am one. Um, I'm a weird, I, my, one of my best friends tells me, he's like, you're a, t- you're like a type A that smokes weed. <laughs> it's like, you're Beautiful. like, go, go, go. But then you're like way laid back. He's like, I don't understand. And, and to be fair, I think we're all creative types in different capacities. We're all yeah, creators. A hundred percent. You know, it's like I say, design is just creative problem solving. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so one of the key things that I help so many of the people that I coach with is minimizing the amount of things you have to manage. Mm-hmm. Right? And that probably comes from my time in the military. I've noticed uh, business world struggles with this a bit more. They get into this mindset of everything's important and I have to I have to juggle all these balls. And it's like, no, no, no. These three balls are the ones that get everybody killed. These three balls are the ones that make us go out of business. These three balls, these three balls are your life. Mm. The other seven, get to them when you can. Like, let your office be a little bit messy if it helps you keep a schedule where you're doing all the things, all the priorities, right? So minimize, 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 right? Like, I'm in the future, when we move into our new house, I'm going to show people pictures of what my office really looks like right now because this cute little bookshelf behind me, this is the propaganda. <laughs> the, the debauchery that's going on on the floor propaganda. behind me with televisions and suitcases and video game consoles. It's a mess. That's your, that's your Soviet message bringing. <laughs> right. So minimize the amount of things you have to manage. And as you get more successful, you have to get more disciplined about that because you're going to have more opportunities than you have time to play with. And as a creative type, it's extremely hard to minimize because we get bored easily. Like, I don't want to just make INFJ videos for the rest of my life. I want to do all these other things, right? And I've kind of moved on from doing Myers-Briggs altogether. Mm -hmm. But minimize uh, the amount of things you have to manage. So for me, what that looks like practically is there's just things in my life that I don't do. Like, I don't binge watch Game of Thrones every day. That... Mm -hmm. I may watch some comedy specials before I go to bed or may have them in the background when I'm working on something. But, you know, my life to a normal person wouldn't look very normal. Uh, then once you're able to minimize, you got to prioritize and execute the, the three balls. Right? You got to be able to say, OK, out of the three or five, however many balls you're juggling, what's the one? What's the one that if we do not get this right, everything else falls apart? Mm-hmm. Right. And that's where I see creative types struggle the most is they don't want to minimize. They want to try everything. And I think you should, but try everything in stages. Mm-hmm. I tell everyone, like people that come to me, I have six things that I think I'm good at. Great. I want you to dedicate the next. Um, I want you to dedicate six, six times three is what? 20. What's that? 18. You, you won't get any help next, from me on that. The next 18 months to experimenting with each one for 90 days. Mm hmm. Instead of trying all of them at the same time and getting confusing feedback, whether it's, you know, I want to, I have six new shows I want to try out on YouTube. Don't do them all at once. Do one at a time and see, give your audience time to catch up, Mm. right? Give the people you're reaching time to get on because the entrepreneurial spirit is always moving at a faster pace than the consumer. Mm. We're always 10 years ahead of where our consumers are. It's why it can be so frustrating. Mm the opposite yeah, of the government. Exactly right. <laughs> 100% the opposite. And it's it's very much you got to be able to minimal, minimize the things you have to manage um, and then prioritize and execute. And being able to do that starts with, in the beginning, setting a clear, concise, measurable outcome that you are driving toward. Whether it's, you know, I hate the 
I'm trying to get this many subscribers because a lot of that's not in your control. I like to say, no, I'm going to create X amount of videos around this theme to impact whoever watches its life in this positive way. That's specific enough. That's measurable. Sure. And it's a goal that you can hit. So all of your priorities need to be set around accomplishing that goal and then minimize everything that doesn't help you get to that goal that's a nice to have. Cut it. Mm-hmm. And not and, and this is where a lot of the INFPs I've helped specifically, I, I can alleviate some of the struggle is it's not forever, mm-hmm. right? You're not going to stick with these three balls forever. You may go and get some of the other seven. But for mm-hmm. right now, these are the three that matter most. And making provision for your creative energy to thrive and all these different things you're interested in, but just doing it in a structured way. And yeah. that, that's where I think creative types lose that because creative types are good at a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I can play guitar and drums and I can sing and rap and cut hair mm-hmm. and I can do illustration and play video games. Like uh, there's so many things that I can do. And for INFPs, the, everything has so much value and it has to have so right. much value that right. it's good to hear that this is not forever because not if forever, I'm doing yeah. something for 10 seconds, I'm like, uh, that's 10 less seconds I have in my life to do things I right. care about. That's a, that's a tremendous struggle. Right. And then, you know, it goes back to self-awareness, too. The, the second piece of that whole sermonette that I gave is um, self-regard and uh, being compassionate with yourself, mm-hmm. understanding that, you know, if you took the hexaco test and your conscientiousness score was under a three, like it's two something, your desk is not going to be terribly organized. Mine is not mm-hmm. um, like accept those things a bit like anything that's not preventing you from getting to your goal. Mm-hmm. Like Einstein was a stickler for, I don't memorize anything that I can look up. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't remember the Pythagorean theorem. I can look it up though. Right. So it's mm-hmm. having a little bit of compassion and mercy because the world is going to tell us we have to think and behave a certain way. Mm-hmm. That's how successful people are. And it's always the not successful people who are telling you these really rigid ways of being successful. You know, mm-hmm. whereas everyone else that's really successful is like, I don't know everything that got me here. I've been doing this for 20 years and some things came together. So it's, giving yourself a little bit of freedom to be disorganized in the areas where it doesn't matter that you're disorganized. Mm. Like you probably should be more disciplined about brushing your teeth and flossing and your hygiene. Like Jordan, I I agree with Jordan Peterson, The areas of your life that support you being creative need to be regimented. Mm -hmm. Like I need to know when. He always references getting up at the same time every day, for example. That's very valid. But but then the, the mercy comes in with, you know, we don't all have to do it like Jocko Willing. Mm-hmm. Not everybody has to get up at 4.30, <laughs> right? Right. Some of us, like me, I'm wired, especially with military experience and combat experience, I'm wired to be up at night. Yeah. So I may sleep till 8, but I also work till 2, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's Yeah, his theory is like, make your day extremely uncomfortable from the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> that's That's the key to success. Yeah. And there's so much truth. In the, and it's funny because if you ever get him when he's not, I don't like to say playing a character because he is who he is, but he'll tell you all the time. He's like, yeah, I ate seven cookies yesterday. Yeah. And like he'll tell stories about, dude, I'm not like I preach discipline because I know the effects of it. But make no mistake, I'm one of the worst people in the world when it comes <laughs> to actually doing it. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, he's like, I have moments of weakness. And then like he made a comedy video on Instagram about the cookies. He's like. I went to a party and it's this whole like war story. Uh, there was approximately uh, one seven cookies. He's talking like military <laughs> jargon. There was one seven cookies on the table. I ate zero seven of the cookies. Uh, 
gonna have to do a lot of surfing to jujitsu. <laughs> it's oh this terrible story of like telling it as if he was being shot at, but he was being aggressed right, by these right. cookies, right? That's and beautiful. that's the thing is we have to have that self-compassion. Yeah. And, and you're not going to be Jocko Willink overnight. Like get, discipl- get disciplined about one thing mm. at a time. Like if it's your diet, it's a great thing to get under control because it feeds your, – your physiology feeds all the other stuff we're talking about. If you're not eating right, forget mm. about therapy and – I mean it will help. But if you're not getting nourished properly – you can't be in an emotional state that's good because your body is going to be screaming for nourishment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell me what you think about this. I found that in my own life that you can spend a lot of time thinking you're working towards a goal and not actually be working towards that goal. So if you want, let's say you want to focus on marketing yourself as a creator. There's a difference in marketing yourself as a creator and creating the content. You can create right. the content for years and not market yourself and Absolutely. and uh, be in a, a place that you never get to the goals that you have in that right. realm. Or you can, you can create your thing. You can sit in, if you're a designer, you can sit in Illustrator for eight hours a day, make beautiful right. things. And good things might come out of this towards the end goal of being financially successful, for example. If that's your, if that's a goal that you've set, but it is not a direct path to being financially successful. You have to build right. those other pillars. <laughs> See what I did there? Pillars there <laughs> of your life uh, to be successful in that realm. And it's so easy to do the thing that we want to do so naturally as creators, which is create, because it's fun and it's the thing that we do most naturally. Uh, but you you have to dedicate time to the other things that come not so naturally if you're going to try to achieve those goals. Right. Hmm. What do you think about that? I like that. Um, I think one of the things I would advise people on is spend as much time as possible each day developing you and that spiritually, emotionally, um, and mentally physically too, because, what I found is that the most successful people that I run into don't necessarily just have a flurry of activity all day. They may do three things Mm. and then the rest of the time is building them. Cause if you're squared away, the effort that you're putting into less work is actually paying off more than if I did 20 things poorly because Mm. I'm in a bad emotional state. I didn't eat anything today. And so I'm tired. Like if I just focus, this is the one thing I have to get done today. Instead of trying to do 10 things, because and I struggle with this. You know, one of my doctors told me, he's like, I listen to the way you work in your business and you're almost manic about it, where it's, I got to go, 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 because we got these goals. And he's like, and when he told me that, I immediately, and this was last year, I started to slow down Mm. and be more methodical. And I started to use that Jack Welch method, which is going back to the minimalization, which is we're in, we're involved in a hundred different businesses here at GE. I want to know every one of them that's not in the top one or two slot in the market, okay? Every one of those businesses that's in the top one or two, keep them. If you're in three or below, we're divesting completely from that business. So I'm going to minimize the amount of things that I'm involved in. Um, And when I started to slow down, I noticed I was more successful on less input Hmm. because it was the right input because I was focusing on getting me well. 
because I had some, you know, mental health issues, as we talked about before, that I didn't know were there until I went through my psych evaluation uh, with the military. Um, and so once I was self-aware, I immediately started to take action and I started to notice even doing less work, I was getting more success and more businesses reaching out to me for help and more coaching clients calling me and saying, I want you to coach me. I was like, well, that's weird. I'm yeah. doing less, but I'm doing more of the right things yeah. and less of the things that are just busy, busy work, busy work, busy mm. work. Right. And not having, not making everything have to be this unrealistic perfection where it's like good enough is good enough. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's Seth Godin taught me that. And it, that's that's really where I think that lies is we have a tendency to if we're doing something for 12 hours a day, it feels like we're making progress versus sometimes careful reflection and reading a book that's helping me get my mind right and spending time with my therapist uncovered something that, oh, I got this idea for a thing and then it just works. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, yeah. I think my advice to every creator is spend as much time every day on you becoming square and you becoming good and healthy because then that's going to go into your work, Mm. right? You won't have this, you know, if you watch, um, who's a YouTube creator who I watched go through this. If you watch like the Greg Miller, I don't know how you, how much you are into video games. Like Greg Miller used to be at this company, IGN, and then he started kind of funny games with his friends. If you watch those first videos when he was still working at IGN, they all look tired. They look beat down and <laughs> despondent because they're working two jobs. The minute he quits his job, now it's fun and everybody's happy. Right, and then right. their success went like that. Yeah. You know, and now it's sustaining. So, and I think it's that. You know, now he was working out of necessity. I don't think anything he was doing was manic. Mm. But we have a tendency to do that. Like we overwork thinking, well, if I just do more things, I'm more successful. Not always the case. Mm. Yeah, and it's like if you want to create a powerful river, you don't want to have a bunch of little baby rivers. You want to channel all of those little exactly. those little f- river fingers into three big rivers, or right. the three you know the three balls that you're talking about. I think that's uh, exactly. I really like the direction you went with that. So I'm I'm curious, what are your goals moving forward? Yeah, so the goals moving forward are simple. Um, I am going to help people apply military strategy to their lives and to their businesses. Uh, As I go forward, I'm going to focus a lot more on businesses, not because I don't love people I do. I just know that by helping businesses, I can help more people, Hmm. right? And it's my goal is always simple. It's to have a positive impact on every human soul that I touch, to reach people and change their lives by helping them develop mindsets that help them be successful. And it's their definition of success. It ain't got nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. It's helping them define success and then giving them the tools that go do it. That's always been my life. And it's going to play out in a lot of different tactical ways, whether it's YouTube, uh, Instagram, and Facebook have been kind of my bigger focuses in 2018. Um, my podcast is going to be the huge focus going forward after I get out of some of this more intensive treatment that I've been in. Um, Uh, Once I can get back to actually doing more work, my podcast is going to hit the ground running. Um, And I'll still be using YouTube. My team and I are still trying to figure out, okay. You'd be a great podcaster. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, go for it. And and it's uh, the format just suits what I like to do better because I talk long and a lot. Right. YouTubers don't necessarily want to listen to me. for, And weirdly, they do watch it. But we're still trying to figure out what do we want to do on YouTube going forward Mm. um, when – uh, I'm better at podcasting. And I'm also going back to a comment you made 
uh, about putting yourself in those heightened states of awareness. Mm. That's why I like Twitch better than YouTube because live forces me to be good. Absolutely. I can't. I love live. I can't cut. Like I have to be squared away. And, you know, even when I make mistakes, I've been on stage a lot in my life. I can turn a mistake into something funny or just take it as an L and keep it moving. But it's. Uh, I wonder how be- the, the horror of being in a live situation stacks up to the horror of being in a combat situation. They're similar, right? <laughs> huh, that's a I've never really thought about it like that. They're similar in that you're just hyper focused on what you have to do. Yeah. Once the first bullet fires, the fear is gone. Right. Once the first okay. word comes out of my mouth on stage, I'm committed. Yeah. You know, and I've done I did a public speaking gig last year where I pissed this lady off <laughs> really bad <laughs> with a joke that I told. She took it personally. Um, and I had to recover from that. And I was having the time of my life. Like, yeah. It was, yeah. It was like being in a firefight in that this woman is screaming at me during my talk. Not mm. screaming. She was very loudly and angrily talking to me. Uh, and now I have to I have to take the punches, adjust, and then I have to rewin the rest of the audience because I want to make sure I don't lose them for this one lady. You know, and then we found out later, the people hosting the event, they're like, yeah, she was a pain to like six different speakers. It's fine because she complained about me. Like she reported yeah. me. I guess oh, you can okay. report, All right. report people at it. Got a, yourself a heckler. Right. Which was great because usually my talks go really well. I was happy to have one that went poorly. So, yeah, it's mm-hmm. very much. But I'm also wired weird. I enjoy public speaking. I like that nervousness. Well, I, think I there, like getting there's, on stage. Yeah, there, I think there's two types of people. I think there's people like my mom. She's also an introvert. And what you just described would probably make her want to vomit. But for somebody like me, I'm also an introvert. But I've one thing I learned about introverts is there are a lot of introverts that are more extroverted than extroverts in the sense of sure. their socialness and their ways, expressiveness, absolutely. right? And uh, to me, that sounds both scary but scary in the sense that it's it's a beautiful challenge and really exciting at the same time yeah and uh i i think that that's a really that's a really interesting difference between people um so the last thing i wanted to ask you was uh when somebody experiences your content wherever you share it whatever that looks like for now or in the future whatever tactical approach you apply to your your goal your big goals what do you hope somebody takes away from it? My biggest hope for people consuming my content is that they will know that everything I'm saying comes from a place of love and understanding. Uh, even when I'm being a little bit more harsh, mm. uh, it's coming from a place of, I love you, even though I may have never met you and I want you to win. And I want them to be able to pull out not just the philosophy, but what is the practical application of how I can take this thing that he just spent six or 30 minutes saying and apply it to my life in a way that I actually get a result. My takeaways are I hope they know that everything I'm saying comes from love. It's not judgment. I've been called a bully and a tyrant and all these different things that people who struggle uh, with a personality like mine tend to think. And I'm okay with that. But my hope is that most people know that everything I'm taking the time to say is because I've been where you are. I've suffered like you're suffering. It sucks. And I want to help you get out of it. Right. Because it comes from a place of love and understanding. Then I actually want them to go apply it, get the results and come back and tell me that it helped. Not for my sake, not for my ego, but for them. I want 
people to be able to take away something that helps improve their life, even if it's just even if it's just a little sliver, then that gives selfishly that gives my life meaning. Mm. I love it. Very good. Cool. All right. Well, this is a good place to wrap it up. Thanks for your thoughts and for your time, man. Man, it's been an honor and a pleasure, brother. I, I really am looking forward to seeing what you're going to continue to do in the future. I appreciate you letting me be here. Likewise. Okay, that's it for this one. Like I said, if you like what he's up to, I will link to his things below. There's a lot to be learned from Sir Bryant Chambers. I hope you guys have a lovely day. Goodbye.